daughters, sisters, and wives. They're gonna change our lives. Eat women, eat girls. They'll make a better world. Invest in Now here's your host, Catherine Gray. Welcome to this week's episode of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. As you know, we are all about connecting women to funding resources. Today, I have on an extraordinary guest. She not only started her own law firm right out of college, but she also was the first woman to start a bank. Yes, you heard me right, a bank. And now she is one of the most prolific women in the world of SPOCs. We're going to talk about that today. I know we want to learn about that. And would you please give a warm welcome to my special guest, Betsy Cohen, the chairman of Masala Fintech. Hi, Betsy. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm especially great and honored to have you on today. You are such a trailblazer. Um, I also forgot to mention that you were the second woman to be a law professor, second only to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Hello. Yeah. That's quite an uh, accolade. Well, I agree. And it was uh, a different world in the 1960s. Absolutely. So, Betsy, um, Tell me the story. I, I know right out of college, uh, most of the people that were interning for their law firms got hired by them. And even though you were a standout, they didn't hire you, uh, from what I understand. So you started your own law firm. I love this story. Tell me a little bit about that. A absolutely. Um, I've always been sort of contrary, so I guess it came naturally to me. But it was really the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, because it taught me that I really had to hold the reins of my own future in my own hands. Uh, and you're right that I was uh, a very good student and uh, well thought of at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. And when I went to, when I was hired as a summer intern uh, by one of the prestigious law firms, I went not thinking that they were focused on me as a woman, but rather that they were focused on my academic credentials. Um, and um, uh, I think I did quite well during the summertime, but the tradition was that at the end of the summer, you were called to a partner's office and uh, those who were, uh, who had performed well were uh, offered uh, permanent positions when they finished law school. And the, when I walked into the partner's office, whom I actually knew quite well, um, I could see that he was very uncomfortable and that he had a message to give me that he did not like. And so he said to me, uh, the work you did was terrific. We would love to have you as a colleague here but our senior partners say they're not ready to have a professional woman in the office. Amazing. And, Amazing. Uh, well, you know. But hey, they're lost, right? 
That's exactly what I said to him, Catherine. I said, you know, I think this is your loss. And I turned and I left the office with the resolution that I would never work for anybody else again. I love that. Hey, he did you a favor, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Clearly a favor. But I was in a way too dumb to have anticipated it. Uh, I had always thought of myself as a professional. Somehow, somehow the word dumb does not really relate when it comes to you, I don't think. I, I was maybe naive, not, not aware enough because yeah. I had succeeded both in college and in law school. And I had no reason to think that that had anything to do with anything you write other than my brains and my uh, grit. Right. Um, but I did learn that that wasn't the case. And so I thought I better... Uh, have my destiny decided by me uh, rather than by somebody else. That's such great advice to everyone, even today, you know, take your destiny into your own hands. I always use the term, we always, we create our fate. I believe that. I believe that. And you certainly have done that. So after owning your own law firm, uh, I understand you were but 32 years old when you started a bank in Pennsylvania, which became- the biggest financial institution uh, in that state, right? Right. Uh, well, in the in the Philadelphia area. Right. Um, I actually, it shouldn't be that surprising in that my specialty, I taught law school for a while and my specialty there, and I was well known in the field, uh, was in banking, insurance, finance, anything that had a number in it, I did it. Yeah, but here's the thing. A lot of people have experience in that arena. They don't start a bank. (laughs) You know, I was having a slow day. And so. (laughs) Right. Well, um, so I even heard that there was a story about you had to go to a judge and he said you can't, you know, start a bank. There was some, you know, something prohibiting you from doing that and that you went and fought to have that whatever that was, that law changed so that you well, could actually- I'm not exactly sure. It sounds like a, a, a wonderful story, but maybe not mine. Uh. Uh, I, um, I, I did go to the uh, Secretary of Banking, whom I knew professionally uh, there we quite go. well, uh, and told him that I wanted to start a bank. And I think he was actually quite relieved because he knew that eventually in some part of his life, he would have to grant uh, a charter, a new charter to a woman. And he was so relieved it was me, or it was I, as we say, uh, that, uh, and someone he knew, someone who didn't have three eyes and two heads, you know, and so he was actually he told me many, many years later that as he was retiring, that he was glad that uh, I had been the one who had come to him. Oh, that is a wonderful story. That's great. So it wasn't a judge, but it was the secretary, but he yeah. had your back. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I we always that. have to have some man have our back in order to let us in that door. Uh, it seems in every vertical. So thank goodness there are some that have that foresight and that uh, open mind to realize, you know, brains and talent when they see it. 
Um, so that's great that you were given that opportunity. But you know, you didn't start, you didn't stop with one bank. You know, I, I understand you built like over thirty uh, branches, right? Well, we grew the bank, but and additionally, we had uh, we owned. Uh, my husband and I went to law school together, and and were partners for many many years. Uh, in ventures. And so we owned a bank as well in the Washington DC area, which uh, this is uh, not a secret, uh, which I thought he was not running as well as he could have. Uh, and so in what we call a bloodless coup, uh, I explained to him very nicely that I thought it would be a good thing if I took it over. Uh, and so I did and uh, ran both banks for a period of time until I sold the bank in Washington uh, to uh, a, a Virginia bank. I love that. You know, I'm from that DC area. Maybe I went to your bank. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. So, um, at, so then fast forward, you, you did end up selling these banks, which is just an amazing thing, the Jefferson banks. And, um, and now, you know, most people would retire, but, you know, you just keep going, keep doing amazing things. Uh, I see then you started the, the, I think it's called Bank Corp, uh, which was online banking. I bet you it, it was probably a, a, a trailblazing in that arena as well. It was the first fully online bank that serviced um, non-banks that had to have a a financial component. Right. Of course they it was. needed a bank to wrap around them. And yes. that's what we did. And we were from we in fact facilitated much of the growth of the fintech area uh, because we uh, were doing something that was really critically important to the uh, industry. Uh, revolutionary. It, it was evolutionary, not revolutionary. Yes. No. Oh, love that. Evolutionary. Yes. Yeah. Better so work. When I left, because I had operated it for 15 years, uh, in the end of 2014, uh, we had 1,600 of these companies on our platform. Wow. That's amazing. And now online banking is really prevalent. Uh, I know some millennials, that's all they do. They, they probably even never even walked into a bank. There yeah. are no millennials in any bank branch. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, I, I still like walking into the bank, but we're the dinosaurs. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> so um, fast forward now, the, the next uh, iteration of your amazing career uh, path is that you now are, you know, uh, really iconic in the world of Spox. Uh, so now you're the chairman of Masala uh, FinTech. Tell us about that. And I want you to explain to our audience what a Spock is, the special um, purpose acquisition company. What, what is that? How does it differ from a, a, a fund, a reg regular venture fund? So, you know, over the entire, my entire life cycle, I've been building on the knowledge that I gained in the prior period. And so uh, those 16, I had sort of raised them as 1600 children from often from 
very little companies to being mature and uh, well-run individual companies. And we serve as some of the larger companies as as well. PayPal and your millennials on no chime and many of the others that have become prominent. But um, it seemed to me that there we were at a different place 15 years after I started this uh, than I had been at the time when it was, as you say, revolutionary and I'll say evolutionary um, in that uh, a lot of these companies had grown up and they were ready for the next stage of their existence. And often that next stage uh, was an entrance into the public market. Mm -hmm. So what I focused on was how do you help companies that are ready, good companies, to transition from the private to the public markets. And a SPAC is really a vehicle which does just that. Uh, It was begun in the mid nineties in response to a need in the capital markets for company industrial companies. Uh, We had just come through a depression here in the United States. And uh, a lot of the companies that were trying to rebuild themselves had no access to capital. And so this vehicle It's simply a legal construct uh, which allowed people, companies to talk to investors uh, about not only what they had had accomplished, but what they might accomplish over the next couple of years uh, came into existence. And once the capital need was no longer there, they went into a quiet period came out again when the um, financial crisis of 2008, 2009 occurred, and there was a need for capital within the real estate markets, within a variety of different uh, areas. And then they went into quiescence again. And in about 2013, 15, uh, it became clear that a lot of the technology companies, a lot of the financial services companies were at a point where they were changing their model and they were growing and they needed access to capital. So we dusted off the SPAC again, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, and uh, utilized it to help these companies transition from the private to the public markets. And uh, my son Daniel and I, uh, so we view it as a a family occupational hazard, I guess, Uh, and uh, have been working to be uh, helpful. What happens is a very, actually a very simple thing. Company which is ready and that takes some thinking and thought and investigation and knowledge of the capital markets and all the rest of it, um, uh, wants to, uh, enters into an agreement with this SPAC or legal structure that it will 
uh, when it's approved by the SEC, it will merge into uh, the already publicly held way it gains entrance to the public market. So just to recap, so um, when people put money into a SPAC, uh, do they do they know what they're investing in or are they just trusting? No, they're yeah. giving, and that's why the sponsor of the SPAC is so important. You really need to choose, you're giving a hunting license to someone and you better be sure that person is a good shot. Right, so like what really sets it apart from a venture capital fund uh, is that people are putting their money in a venture capital fund and it's being discussed as to what that fund is going to invest in so the investor is aware. But if they put it into a SPOC, it's kind of like a blind investment where you're trusting the people that are running it, that they're going to. Oh, I think I think that's a little bit overstated. It's a little I'm, bit over. Oh, I want you to explain it. Yes. Uh, so uh, in the in the uh, prospectus for the blind pool, as you're calling it, which is the SPAC, there are uh, not only the biographies of the managers, the people to whom you're giving this hunting license, but also the areas that they're targeting. So you may be more interested in biotech. So you would want to find a spec where the people run uh, doing the, the search for a good company were really experts in the biotech area. We're not those people. We're people who are knowledgeable for many, many years and with great depth in financial services and technology. And that's what we do. And if that's a field in which the difference between a venture capital fund and a SPAC is also that at the end of the process, the company that you own in the venture capital fund is still private privately held. The venture capital fund, which is a pool of people's monies, may own a portion of it, sometimes a majority, sometimes a minority. Uh, with a SPAC, the purpose of the SPAC is to help a company that, for example, wants to make acquisitions and can use the public stock as currency or uh, has a need to build three more uh, plants in which to uh, build back to get funded and have access to the capital markets through this new uh, profile that they have. Interesting. It's so fascinating. And that was a great description of how it really you know, does differ from a regular, a regular venture capital fund. Um, thanks for sharing that because I really wanted some insight and I'm sure our listeners do too, to better understand the mysterious Spock market, as I call it. Um, so what are uh, some of the uh, most recent ventures that you've invested in? Can you share a success story with us? Sure. I mean, I would choose uh, because we're not look. We are not looking for companies that simply, upon announcement, go up in value. We're looking for companies that will grow. Vintage two thousand uh, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen investments 
because they're now in a period when they're coming to maturity and uh, they vary. There was a payments company, which the purpose for the payments company was to make acquisitions as I just described. Um, and they did so for about a year and then uh, were purchased at a, a very handsome premium to their market price. Uh, another example done in 2000, closed in 2019, uh, is a company that is very prominent in the area of remittance of um, funds from workers in the United States to Central and South America, biggest in Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, et cetera. That's a company that has more than doubled its value in the last couple of years because it's a, they run it well, it's a much needed area and uh, management ha has done a very good job. So those might be two examples. Each one is different. A third one that might, that comes to mind that is much more recent, uh, just closed about a year and a half ago, is a company that does independent advisory work to large companies on uh, mergers and acquisitions. So it's across the financial services industry um, and having been in the ecosystem needs and therefore uh, have been successful in identifying it. Terrific. Well, um, I do want to say that, you know, I think you and I agree that there needs to be more women uh, angel investors in uh, just in, in investing in other women, investing in venture capital, investing in SPOCs. It's a wonderful opportunity uh, that can be very lucrative and uh, they can align themselves with people like yourself and your group that have all the expertise so they don't have to. Um, yeah, so we have we have shepherded several such groups through, and uh, in addition to that, have in many of our specs all women boards so that we can uh, provide the kind of go on and play other roles. Uh, there are after a very slow start because. Um, there appeared to be a lot more men who were willing to enter into what has to be a risk-based business uh, and had been in the financial services pipeline for many, many years. Uh, there now is a burst of women-only SPACs uh, as well as uh, uh, a, a population of women in the private equity field and venture capital that are funding either they are the leaders of the funds and or they are funding women uh, operated and founded businesses. Right. So and does your entity focus on that too? We, we uh, believe that our mandate is across the public markets in which I have been for the last 50 years uh, 
Now, uh, and certainly amenable to funding a good manager who happens to be a woman, uh, but I'm into good managers. Fantastic. Yeah, it's all about the talent, but there are certainly plenty of talented women, right? We need their, they're, they're their power. Are, and you're you're uh, a perfect example of that. <laughs> they're coming to the fore. Yes. Well, uh, Betsy, how can people uh, find uh, Masala Fintech to learn more about what you're doing if they wanted to get involved and just learn more about it? Uh, want to give us your well, website, your social? Fintech Masala has a website. I'm not Masala Fintech, and they can find you, Betsy Cohen, on LinkedIn, I take it? Nice, yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Um, please, uh, uh, you know, reach out to Betsy, look for Masala Fintech, learn more about them, learn more about SPOCs, very interesting uh, modality for us to, as women, to be more familiar with. Uh, it's so important that we be part of this uh, investment arm in the uh, investing arena. Uh, also, please follow me, Catherine Gray, on uh, Invest in Her on Instagram and our She Angel Investors on the other uh, social media. Uh, Betsy, so great to have you with us today. We're honored. Thank you so much. Everybody remember to invest in another woman and make it a great week. And remember to check out the Wealthy Women's Summit put on by our podcast sponsor, The Bra Network. Here's a message from their founder, Carrie Murray. I know we've all been to hundreds of conferences, just hearing the word conference and you can picture the lanyard and the name tag and the taste of cold coffee. You wrap up, you post on Instagram, maybe you get a swag bag, you leave thinking, well, now that I'm empowered, what's next? How does this help my growth, both personally and professionally? Well, it's time to change things up. It's time to shake things out. Prosperity plus abundance, flourish plus consciousness. That is the Wealthy Women Summit. Set for August 25th and 26th in the beautiful Long Beach Harbor, right next to the Queen Mary, docked is the Sir Winston Yacht because nothing says a conference about wealth than a conference that takes place on a yacht. We are going to be have panels and speakers and workshops on all the different decks, everything to help you cultivate a life that is more than just wealth, meaning the money you have in the bank, but wealth in mind and body, wealth in leadership and growth, wealth in health, wealth in life. We want to provide you with a full experience of living a wealthy lifestyle. Now, I want you to head over to the wewosummit.com website. It's wewosummit.com and use promo code invest to get 15% off your ticket to this very unique experience. See you this summer. Remember, if you're looking to launch a business or grow your business, check out our e-course, Six Ways to Fund Your Business, available at sheangelinvestors.com. Our theme music was created and produced by Lindsay Tomasic.